0: So good morning again. Welcome to River Valley Community Church. Hey, there we go. Got some life now. Well, good morning, family. Welcome again to River Valley Community Church. I hope you guys are having a pretty good Sunday morning, and it's been pretty good to be together back with your family on Sunday morning. We're going to continue our journey, our trek through the Gospel of John, um, as we are still in Chapter 3 of Gospel of John. But it's been good stuff. I hope you have been enjoying it. I hope that uh, if you have have had those journal Bibles as a benefit for your small group as well as just maybe your own personal devotion time as you read it, Uh, I just encourage you to keep on reading with us because as you read throughout the week and then come on a Sunday morning, you can say, oh, maybe you have some questions that are answered during this message or maybe you can have some uh, insights that are like, hey, he didn't address that. What about that? And we can always have great conversations about that. Or you can be texted and said, hey, I heard there's an offer for a book. Let me have one. I can tell Stephanie, I'm sorry, Stephanie, you are not at service, so you don't get a book. Well, thank you all for being here. Uh, Let's give it up for the band one more time. As you see, Ted uh, is leaving, and it's not because he does not appreciate the message or the word, but it's... Because he, we value kids so much that he's going to lead uh, live worship with the kids this morning. So we always appreciate uh, everything the band does and all he has to do. So thanks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can know you through what you have given us. That We can know how you have saved us, how you have loved us, how you're working in our lives right now and where we're headed. Lord, thank you for it. Lord, we pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our minds, that you bring it to life in our hearts, in our lives as we seek to live it out every day. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love, true love. Should I say love, true love? (laughs) What is love? We write poems about it, movies are made depicting it, stories are crafted to celebrate it. We we are told that we need it. Songs are written to say we're trying to find it in all the wrong places. We feel like we want it. What is love? We use the word in so many different ways that how I speak about my wife is love and how I speak about pizza is love, but they're different. What is true love? Is it just that warm feeling when you see someone? Is that burning passion? Is it just that emotion? What is love? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. The Bible actually tells us what love is. You can think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Paul just lays out, this is love. But more fundamentally, the Bible tells us what love is by pointing to God and saying This is love. Who God is, is love. This doesn't mean that we approach God and say, hey, I think love is this, and so I'm going to apply it to God. No. Rather, the writers of the Bible say, no, when we want to know what love is, we first look to God, and he defines it for us. He sheds light on what love is. And we can think of verses like 1 John 4, verses 10, which says, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is love? God shows us love through sending his son for us. What is love? God shows it for us by being moved to action to save us, sending his son to die in our stead. And this is what John chapter 3 speaks about that want, we want to see love, we want to know what love is, this is where it's found. So you have your Bible, so you can turn to John chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, but whoever does what is true comes to light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's these verses throughout the Bible that really encapsulate and encompass the whole message of the gospel in like seemingly one verse. There's these verses in the Bible that are easy to memorize because they they tell us what God has done and, and how he has loved us and they, and they show that and they're easy to to. Memorize because of that we can think of verses like john 5:8, but god demonstrates his own love for us in this why we we're still sinners christ died for us the gospel in a verse we can think of verses like romans uh as i say john 5 8 romans 5 8 romans 6:23, where it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord or even Galatians 2.20, when Paul speaks about, I have, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in, my, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. These verses that ingrain themselves in our heads and our hearts because they encompass the heart of the God's message for us. He saved us through Christ. And here is another one of those, John 3.16, a verse that gives us the heart of the gospel that we can hold on to and we can celebrate. Before we dive into this passage, we see the truth, the truth of the gospel, which is this, the Father gave, so we are saved. If you had to boil down the gospel, this is one way you can articulate. This is one way you could say it. The Father gave, so we are saved. And when you think about what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, accomplished on that cross, it all comes down to this. The Father gave his Son for us. Gave his Son to live for us a life that we could not live. Gave his Son to die for us a death that we deserved. Gave his Son to stand in our place So our sins are taken, put on him and his righteousness, his right standing is given to us. The father gave so that we are saved. We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the sin that has enslaved us. We're saved from our past. We're saved from where we're headed. We're saved from the wrath of God against sin. We are saved. The father gave so we are saved. That's the heart of the gospel, and that is actually the heart of this passage here when we look at it. The Father gave, so we are saved. But this passage starts with one of the most famous verses in all the world. John 3.16. Just a show of hands, who, has, who, who memorized John 3.16 probably before any other passage in there? In the bulk of us. Who probably could say it? John 3.16, right? It's the most famous verse in all of of the world. Why? Because we are taught it, because it encapsulates encapsulates the message of the gospel. We see it on signs at sporting events. We see athletes with it written on their faces. It's everywhere. So much so that there's parodies of John 3.16 where people put their own name before 3.16 in some weird way. There's parodies where people just don't know what it means anymore, but they know it's something. And so there's parodies in common uh, culture where people want to make John 3.16 signs to go for a sporting game with no concept of what it points. I saw a little clip of, of, a, of a show where someone says, hey, I made this for the game. It was John 3.16. And they're like, what does that even mean? And they looked up in the Bible and it said, the Lord said, go socks. Blasphemous that is, <laughs> One wise that is, it shows this parody of people know what that means, and it's so connected to out in sporting events, people see it spread out there, that it almost is easily forgotten. It becomes a cliche, John 3.16. But it's a popular verse that shouldn't be forgotten, shouldn't be looked over, shouldn't be skimmed over. Why? Because it shows the heart of who God is, his heart to love us. Uh, we need to look at it and, and see that it is something that we should celebrate and a verse that we should know. So let's look at John, John 3.16 and beyond as, as, uh, in this, uh, this Gospel of John. For God so loved the world. This famous verse starts with this word for. We're so easy, it's quick to run to the rest of the passage and the rest of the verse, but this 4 makes, makes us remember that this verse is not just by itself, it's not just given on its own, but it actually comes within this whole context of John 3. And so we see 4 connects it to the previous verses, where Peter, uh, Jesus was talking about how he must be lifted up, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that people believed in him, they're saved. And so we see the context of John 3.16 is the crucifixion. The context of John 3.16 is the redemption that Jesus is coming to bring to his people. That when we read this, it's not just a vague sense of God so loved the world. No, he so loved the world, how? By sending his son to be lifted up on a cross. God so loved the world that He gave His Son to over to a horrible death. Why? Because He wanted to bring His people back to Him. And so we see this context is that God loves in a very specific way with bold action, demonstrating for us by sending His Son, giving His Son, so that we could have life. God, for God so loved the world. I love that word so. For God so loved the world, you can put the emphasis like that, and it kind of demonstrates the intensity of his love. You can almost imagine a little kid coming up to you and say, I love you so much. You get the sense, God so loved the world, this intense affection and desire for his people. But this so also demonstrates how he loves God so loved the world so that he had to send his son. He loved him to this extent. He demonstrates it through the sending of his son. And it's not either or. We see through the demonstration of his love that he sends his son. The intensity of his love, a bold act. He's not content to sit back and let the world go the way it's going. No, he must act. And so he sends. He must act. He so loves the world that he's going to send his son to die for us and to save us, to bring us back to him. This is a demonstration of God's love. Make no mistake about it, when we read this verse, for God so loved the world, this is talking about the Father loving the world, loving his people, loving the people he's bringing back to him in an intense, this, this monster, uh, in a, a way that can be demonstrated. He loves them so much. Oftentimes, people get this weird idea where somehow Jesus is the one who loves, and God the Father is the one that brings the wrath. And they kind of they start kind of separating these two. Uh, people jesus from god but you can't do that because jesus is god they have the same will the same mission the same plan they're united in what is how this going to accomplish but people read this read the bible and they somehow want to separate from jesus and the god the father and want to put all the things they really don't like on god the father and all the things they kind of like with jesus and this thought has been around since the beginning of christianity from the second century on, there's been people who've been teaching that somehow Jesus is different than God, and therefore they start kind of splitting the Testaments. They say, "Well, the Old Testament is is wrath and and doom and gloom and and do this and don't do that, but where Jesus is love and carefree and all that good stuff, and they separate this, but you can't separate Jesus from God, for they are one you can't separate. God from love because it comes crashing against this verse and dies the death it deserves because it says, God so loved the world. That this is the Father's love for us as we just sing about. That, the, that God loves us. The Father loves us. He's bringing us to salvation through His Son and that this is no mistake, that He initiates it. He wants it. He wants us in a relationship with Him and so He's bringing it about that He loves us. Let that sink in for a second. That the Father, Almighty God, Creator of the heavens and earth, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows the the count of hairs on your head, who spun galaxies into space, who breathed life into the first human, who made us how we are, who has seen us go astray, who knows the deepest, darkest, vilest thoughts that we have, and yet he loves us. That he's moving heaven and earth To get us. That he loves us so much that he's willing to send his son to die for us. He loves us, loved us, and chose to save us. The Father gave, so we are saved. We see in this verse the the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Father gives his son for us. In a, in, a, in a really will, uh, very real way, this is the father's sacrifice that he's willing to give, separate from his son and send Him, willing to give the son to die a death for us. That he loves us so much that he, he looks at his son and say, I'm going to give you up to a horrible death so that I can bring my people back. The father gave. And the son gave. The father gave his son and the son gave his life to for us, living for us and then dying for us. And so we see in this that the father gave and the son gave this unity between God the father and God the son, that they were on mission together, that they were going to save their people, the ones that they love. They were going to save those who believed in them. They were going to save those people when they had the willingness to sacrifice to do so. There's another verb that stands out to me when I read this that the Father gave, yes, but He also sent the Son, and the Son went. Before time eternal, before anyone was made or anything other made, the Council of God, the three in one, sat together and said, We are going to save our people for our sake. And And the Father said, I am going to send you my Son. And you are going to save my people. And the Son said, yes, I will go and save our people. From the very nature of who God is, we see this truth that the Father sins and the Son goes. The Father sins and the Son went to save us. And he was spent on the cross. And he brings us to the truth that he has saved us for himself. The Father gave so we are saved. And we know this truth. And this truth is applied through us through faith. That God uses our faith, our belief in Jesus to apply this historical, real event that happened 2,000 years ago into our lives right now, today. He uses our faith as the instrument that brings salvation to us. This is why we can say that we're saved by grace, which is shorthand for all that God has done, that he sent his son, his son died for us, that he's taken all of our sin and given us all his righteousness. We are saved by grace, but it's through faith. This instrument that he uses to apply what Christ has done for us to our lives, that through faith, we're now connected to Christ. Through faith, we're now connected to the spirit that applies the seal on us that we're going to be his. Through faith, we are saved as an instrument. This is why it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we believe, we're connected to who Christ is and what he has done for us. But notice this is not faith in faith itself. This is faith in Christ and what he's done. Sometimes we get confused. It's easy with language that we use now. Sometimes we get confused that almost like if you have enough faith or if you just believe that you have faith or like you believe that you had faith or all this weird kind of language, we just, just believe in faith itself, we're saved. But that's not how it works. It's faith in what Christ has done. It's belief and trust in who he is. It's not just having faith in just faith. I can't, I can't help but think it's kind of like a friend I had in college who climbed Mount Everest. And one of the, and at one of the treks, he, uh, they're, they're going through these ice crevasses and, and there's all these ropes that they kind of just pick from when they're doing this ice climbing. And the guys are like, yeah, you just pick one, you tie yourself in and you climb up and over and it's fine. And so he did so. He just picked one, had faith he was going to hold him, climbed up and over, only to discover that out of all these ropes, only a few of them actually were anchored into anything solid. Some of them were just frozen against the ice wall that if he fell, it wouldn't have saved him. But having faith just in faith is like expressing the belief that if he had climbed on a rope and just had faith that that rope was going to hold him, then no matter how well it was anchored, it was going to hold him. That's idiotic. That's not how it works. Faith in the rope only makes sense if that, faith, if that rope is anchored to something that will hold you when you fall. So faith only makes sense when we truly believe and truly trust that Jesus Christ is what holds us. Jesus Christ is what saves us. Jesus Christ is what's going to keep us moving towards God and for the destiny that awaits us. And so we don't just have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus and how he saved us, that we believe in him and that he will bring us to where we're supposed to go. We have faith in Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, we are not condemned. This passage talks about those that Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, which is very important because people get this wrong idea that Christianity is all about thinking that we're better than other people, thinking that somehow we got it and they don't, that we, should, we follow the rules and they don't. And so we like to condemn people and say, oh, you guys are so bad. If only you knew the truth. Oh, if only you could be good like me. Uh, Spoiler alert, that's not what Christianity believes. I was kind of scared. You guys were a little quiet there. Christianity believes that Christ has saved us, not because of anything we've done, but in spite of everything we've done. And so it's never like we're looking upon the world and condemning them and saying, man, you guys are wrong. We know we go no, but for the grace of God, so there go I, that I'm right along with you if I was not saved, that I would just be just as lost as you are if Christ had not saved me and brought me into his life. That he's given me. That we don't condemn the world. We Rather, we say you need Christ because that's what this passage says. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because it's already condemned. The world didn't need Jesus to come to condemn it. Why? Because God has been speaking from the the beginning of the world through the natural revelation for the world he made, the glories of his heavens, that people should know God and search for him, but they haven't. He's spoken through his prophets. He's spoken through his word. He's revealed who he is and says, if you come to know me, if you know who I am, if you know the love I have for you, you can have life with me. And yet the world turns a blind eye. It goes astray. It wants to do its own face. And so because of that, that the world's already condemned. The world is crying out for a savior that they need someone to rescue them. And so here comes Jesus on the divine rescue plan to save the people who believe in him. Bring them in to that life. Not to condemn them. Why? They have already know the truth and have turned the back on. But Jesus comes and says, I can bring you out of that into the life I have for you. The Father gave, so we are saved. He made these sacrifices, of sending his son, of the son going, of coming and living a life that we could not live, of dying on the cross for us. Why? So that we could have eternal life. That we could have true life with our God. For this is what humanity was made for. When you open up the Bible and you start in the very beginning, what do you see? God creating the heavens and earth. He makes the world perfect. He makes humans as the pinnacle of his creation. And what was their purpose? To reflect his glory on this earth. They were going to spread over the whole um, surface of the earth and represent him well and praise him. And that's what humans were made to be. But because of sin, it can no longer be that way because we rebelled in Adam and in Eve. We rebelled. We can no longer reflect Him as we're supposed to, where we're trapped now in slave, that we're destined where not life, but death, that we're separated from the life we're supposed to have in, in God, and we're going our own way. So God begins his divine redemption plan from the very get-go, moving heaven and earth, moving people around so that he can declare to his people, to us, how much he loves us and how we can have that life we are meant to be, to have. We can have a life with our God. We can have that eternal life where we're headed to heavens and the heaven, new heavens and new earth, that we'll celebrate and worship God forever. That we'll be, we'll be recreated to do what we were supposed to do in the first place. That those longings and those emptinesses and the and the the feeling of dissatisfaction that seem almost like a constant companion in this world will melt away. For we will be with who we're meant to be from the very beginning, and we will be complete. We'll be satisfied. We'll be whole. We'll be who we were made to be. Eternal life with God. That's where we're headed when we have belief in what Christ has done. Well, that life is not just a pie in the sky, eventually it's going to happen. No. When we believe, when we know who Christ is, that eternal life actually comes back from the future into our hearts and into our lives, and we are changed right now. The life we have starts when we believe and it builds and it creates and little by little we are transformed and little by little we are conformed to the image of the Son and little by little we become people who want and desire and want to follow God with all of our being and little by little we start living that life we're supposed to have in the future right now, preparing us for that future. And so this is not just something that we long for and wait for, this is something that we have right now that's growing in our lives, uh, giving us a life that has a heart that beats for our God as we live and trust and have faith in what he has done. The Father gave, so we are saved. seems like there's a disconnect after telling how we're saved to then the rest of the passage that talks about how there's a light that comes that exposes the darkness of men. But the gospel exposes us. The truth of the gospel is like that light that turns on in a kitchen and you see the cockroaches scurrying for cover. Guess who you are in that story? The light of the gospel shines the truth upon our lives and we see, I'm not God. The light of the gospel clicks on a light and we are caught in the act of our sin and we realize, I've messed up. I can't save myself. I can't do anything good, Lord. Help me. The light of the gospel exposes us for who we are. And when we're exposed, we realize our need and we cry out for our Savior. That's not always the most pleasant experience, is it? Being exposed. (laughs) We don't like to be exposed. Sometimes because it reveals to the world and reveals to ourselves what idiots we are can't help but think about this one story. I guess I was exposed, but it was kind of revealed how big of an idiot I am. I was working on a house with a bunch of my brothers, and we're actually all my brothers for some reason, and we're painting this house, and it was about lunchtime, and so my oldest brother went to grab lunch, and while we're sitting there, my other brother, who's back in kids now, was actually still working. I don't know why my other brother and I were sitting on the kitchen floor, but we were. And all of a sudden, we're listening to music, and... uh Duel of the Fates comes on. If you don't know what Duel of the Fates is on, it's the big opera kind of song from episode one of Star Wars, (laughs) during the fight scene. So it comes on the the radio, or I guess we have a mixed CD that we're listening to. And so my brother and I proceeded to begin play fighting with tools as we're rolling around on the kitchen floor, acting like we're going to hurt each other, just stuff we do. And also I felt a presence above us. And we look up, and there was a sheriff's deputy with hand on a gun. looking at us. <laughs> Apparently the sheriff's deputy had showed up to serve a warrant on the people who used to live there. And they, what they got instead, when they knocked on the door and no one answered because we had dual-to-face plane, was two idiots rolling around on the ground, <laughs> acting like we're going to kill each other. <laughs> we were exposed for the idiots we were. I have never seen two people slide apart from each other and just sit there kind of meekly as fast as we did that day. But we were exposed as morons. (laughs) But in a very real way, when the gospel comes into our lives, it exposes us for who we are to the deepest nature we have. It exposes us in in a light that gets into every nook and cranny who reveals it all so that we can see it and address it. And very well the gospel shines it. Not to say, look at all this stuff, you better get your act in order. No, the gospel shines and says, look at all this stuff, I'll take care of it. It's gone. Worry no more about that. It might take a while to apply to your life and become true, but the gospel exposes all that stuff. When we're idiots, when we're mean, when we exploded at our spouses, when we cheated that one time and it kind of hangs over us, when we've done things we know we shouldn't do, when we've done stuff we, we know we probably should have done more for people, all those things that hang on us. The gospel exposes it all, and Jesus says, I got it. I'll take care of it. It's not do harder, do better. The gospel exposes this and says, I will cleanse it of you. Imagine the sun rising as you sit on your porch or look out your window. Sun rises, the rays of light slowly reveal bit by bit the landscape, cityscape, your neighborhood before you. That's what the gospel does in our lives slowly reveals the truth of who we are and how we need to follow. Slowly reveals things that were hidden become revealed. Things that were hidden in darkness now are brought into light so we can address them. Things that we have been doing that we have just been doing because we do them are now exposed for what they are and now Christ can speak to them and we can walk forward in the truth. Christ has saved us. That's a truth, a historical event that happened. But how we live the truth of the gospel, that little by little, as the Spirit applies it to us, takes a lifetime as that light of the gospel exposes more and more as we follow in his ways. And so this means that we let the light expose us. This means that one of the ways we apply the gospel to our life is that we put ourselves under the, the exposing light of the gospel and say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have my act together. I know I have messed up. Show me this truth. Let me remember it's not about me becoming better, but it's about me killing the sin, doing away with it, cutting it out of my life so that I can live the life you have called me. Two. Lord, expose me for the fraud I am. Lord, expose me for how I've gone astray. Lord, expose me for how I have not been loving as I should be loving or how I've been hateful when I should not be hateful. Lord, expose me. It's a call for us to put ourselves under the truth of his word, the truth of the gospel, and let it ourselves be exposed. But be warned, the gospel is always an interruption. When we are willing to put ourselves within the exposing light of the gospel, get ready for your life to get interrupted. The gospel always interrupts our lives. It exposes and interrupts our sinful habits. We can no longer operate like that anymore. It exposes our selfishness and it interrupts it and says, no, you must live differently. It exposes and interrupts our rebellion and says, no, you must follow faithfully. It redirects our attention away from ourselves to our one true God and his work and his word. So be warned is always an interruption. But when we allow the gospel, the truth of what Christ has done to expose us and interrupt our life, it leads us to be the people that are spoken about in verse 21. When it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that, they, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That when we follow Christ, that when we apply the gospel to our lives, when we let Christ expose us for who we are, we can now start living and working and as he has called us to do, and we become people who do everything as if it's carried out in God. We do everything, our all of our lives, our decisions, our actions, how we treat people, and live as those people who do what is true and is carried out in God. That language can be kind of confusing, but it's the same truth that uh, Colossians 3.17 speaks about, how we're supposed to do everything as if we're living and serving for the Lord. It's the same truth as Matthew 5.16 speaks about, how we do these good deeds. Why? So that people can see them and praise our Father in heaven. It's the same truth as uh, uh, Galatians 6.9 and 10, that we're supposed to do these good works because it glorifies God. We do these good works and we don't become wary of them. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. Then, when we let the gospel expose us, when we let the truth that the Father gave so we are saved dwell in our hearts richly, we start living lives where everything we do is carried out in God. For his glory, for his name, for his sake, to expand his mission, to bring people to know who he is, to bring people into greater uh, worship of him and appreciation for him so people can see him. When we do this, we, bring, we have our whole life oriented to be in God. We do that as a response to the gospel and what it's done for us. This can only happen because the Father gave, so we are saved true love. Notice, rules don't get us there. Demands don't get us there. The law doesn't get us there. What gets us to a place where we can say, yes, Lord, expose me. Yes, Lord, lead me. Yes, Lord, let everything I do be done in you. What gives us, gets us to a place? Love that we see the truth that the Father loved us, he gave his Son for us, and he's bringing us to where we're supposed to go. That love brings us to a place where we want to love and serve and live for our Savior. The Father gave, so we are saved. Join me in prayer. Lord, we love you, we seek you. Oh Lord, we love you so much, we thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have given your son for us. That we can know you, can love you, we can respond to that truth, that we can believe in you, and because of our faith, we too can be saved. Lord, I pray for all of us here. I pray for us that if we know Christ, that we have the boldness to say to him, expose me for who I am. That I can live for you all my days. I pray for anyone who does not know Christ that they can have the boldness to say to him show me you let me see you so I can respond to you let me see you so I can believe Lord we love you, we seek you we pray that this word of yours can dwell in our hearts richly as we go out of here that can impact all that we do as we love our families, do our work and love those around us Lord, we love you. Seeking for you all these things in Jesus' name, Amen.